You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The car feature with Nicole Lowe. It's the car feature, and yes, we are Nickel, uh, with Nicole Lowe. We are taking your calls on 011-8830702, your SMSs 31702, your tweets at Relebochile M at Radio 702, using the hashtag 702 Afternoons and the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. We're going to be talking speedometers, but also we will be taking any of your technical questions. So send through your issues on the WhatsApp line or give us a call for Nicol to address. Nicol, how are you? All good, thank you. Wonderful. So talk to us about the speedometer. And, and when, when I was thinking about the speedometer, I kind of went back to that movie Matilda where this father was scamming people and literally reversing, manually reversing the speedometer of the vehicle. Yes, that's quite funny. Um, what we're talking about today is actually the, the speed more than the Odo, even though they linked. Yes. Um, so do you think the speedo is very accurate of, of a vehicle you're climbing? Do you think it's actually giving you true speed or not? I would expect that it is giving true speed. Okay. All right, so let's start with that. Um, uh, the regulation uh, determined that you're not allowed to sell a car that will, will underread. So it means that it shows a slower speed than the vehicle is actually going. So best the manufacturer is allowed to give you the exact actual speed of the vehicle. Because remember, if you get uh, trapped by, by a traffic officer and, for example, your speedo was saying 120 and now he's saying, you know, you were actually doing 140, that's a big problem. So your speedo in your vehicle will always overread. And the, the percentage it will overread depends on manufacturer to manufacturer, but it's between about, say, 2 to 5%. And the reason for that is there's quite a few variables at play. So the modern vehicle, the way the speed is determined is the engine control unit or actually your ABS unit looks at all the speed. So there's a wheel speed sensor on each wheel, and it actually determines the average of that. And then it, it adds, uh, as I say, a factor to actually give you... Uh, uh, overread figure so uh, it will add two to five percent to that actual speed figure and that's the one that will be displayed in front of you in kilometers per hour but remember there's variables at play so what tire pressure you're running so if the tire pressure is under pressure the circumference of the wheels actually less and it will actually influence the speed also your tire wear so your tire wear with age the circumference of the tire again changes so all that needs to be taken into account when the, the speed is shown on the instrument cluster. And most of our readers will know, if you compare the GPS speed, so a lot of the vehicles these days, they've got GPS on board, or you've got GPS on your phone, or you've got a GPS in your vehicle, you can check the true GPS speed versus the indicated speed on your instrument cluster, and you'll see that the speed indicated is always a bit faster than the one you see in GPS. And that's what we're talking about. Um, the older vehicles, if people remember the old vehicles, they used to have a, a cable running from the instrument cluster, sometimes to the, to the gearbox, sometimes to a wheel that will actually then give you the indicated speed. And as that vehicle gets older and that cable becomes sort of uh, sticky, you'll get that needle that jumps around. So if you drive a classic car, sometimes you'll see the needle jumps up and down, up and down as you drive. It's difficult to see what speed you're doing. That's just a cable that actually needs lubrication. And when that cable breaks, the needle will just drop down to, to zero. So, yeah, remember that the speed you see in the instrument cluster, 
that will always be uh, overreading slightly. Um, but uh, yeah, don't go and drive 140 indicators and think that you'll still be safe if you pass a speed trap. You'll only you'll probably be doing about 130 if it indicated 140. Yes, yes, and I'm I'm realizing, um, you know, sometimes actually a speed camera won't flash if let's say the car is reading 64, 65 kilometers per hour in a 60 zone. Yeah, so obviously with speed track, there's always a margin as well. They allow you, to, I think it's about nine kilometers over the speed limit. They won't trap you. But there's always the, as I say, that margin in your, in your indicated speed. So if you, if it's showing 60, if you take, take off about two to five percent, maybe you're driving about 56, 55 kilometers per hour. So that will help you. But there's still no, uh, reason to go and see how far you can push the envelope because if you speed, you speed. And one thing that's also interesting that we see with some of the classic uh, vehicles out there and some of the imported cars, they might be indicating in miles per hour. So just make sure if you get into a classic car uh, that is not miles per hour, because if you're driving at 60 miles per hour and you get caught in a speed camera or a traffic uh, stop you, then uh, you'll be doing about 96, close to 100 kilometers per hour. So they make sure that it's indicated in kilometers per hour. Mm-hmm. So why is this um, so important for everybody to know that, you know, is driving and has a vehicle? Obviously, speed is one of the most important things. Um, and obviously, a safety requirement. I hear there's uh, stories out there that uh, the government is looking in South Africa to reduce the speed on our national roads from 120 to 110. So obviously, the faster you go, the less time you've got to react. And that's why you'll you'll see in your, in your suburbs and even close to schools and so on, you'll see that the speed limit drops to even to 40 kilometers per hour and speed arms and so on. So speed is very important for from a safety perspective. Um, what is nice if you go to Germany on the autobahn, there's no speed limit. So yes. on some, some of the stretches in, auto, in, in Germany, you can go as fast as you want. But yeah, your indicated speed is obviously very important. It's a, it's a, it's a legal requirement uh, and for, for later of the law as well. So yeah, speed is important. We need that. What is the likelihood of, you know, somebody buying a vehicle, be it new or secondhand, that actually has a faulty speedometer that's inaccurate? Yeah, um, in the modern vehicles where the speed comes from the ABS unit and wheel speed sensors, um, it's got a, a bit of redundancy there. So if it loses one speed sensor, it's still got three other wheels to look at it. It will indicate that, but it will then uh, bring up uh, ABS on your cluster to say there's a fault with ABS, even if you just lost one uh, speed sensor. But as I say, there is a bit of redundancy uh, built into the system. If it's an old uh, car with a cable, the cable snaps to just reach zero. You mentioned something interesting when you start, uh, started to, to discuss this about uh, the odometer being uh, uh, winded back, yes, <laughs> winded back, yeah. So that was possible in some of the older vehicles with a cable system. So if you if you the cable rotates one way, similar to the wheels, then obviously the odor goes forward. But if you put like a drill on it and you reverse it, then you can actually uh, get the car to reverse uh, mileage, which is obviously completely wrong, and and you should you know, nobody should do that. And um, with a modern cars, it's all electronic, so it's stored in the cluster. It's got an ECU, and it's uh, or they try to make it completely tamper-proof, so that you can't actually go in there. But there's some automotive hackers that can go in there and change the odor of a 
of a of an instrument cluster, but it's very difficult to do. You need to be uh, very clued up and have high end equipment to be able to do. So it's quite difficult these days to change the odor of a vehicle. Yes, yes. We're chatting to Nicol Low in our car feature, who is available to take all of your technical questions. O double one double eight three O seven O two or send through a WhatsApp O seven two seven O two one seven O two. What are the issues with your vehicle? And Nicol will answer them uh, answer them for you live on air. 702. The car feature with Nicole Lowe. It is just going to 10 minutes to 3 o'clock. So, yes, you have an opportunity to send through all of your technical car questions through to Nicole Lowe, 011830702, and the WhatsApp line 0727021702. We have a call. We have Hans in Bryanston. Go ahead, Hans. Hi, Rebecca and Nico. Uh, it's Hans. Um, I have a Santa Fe Hyundai, it's a 2.2 diesel, a 2008 model. It is just on over 300,000 uh, on the clock. But recently it started cutting out and then it refuses to start. After a while, it will start again. Um, I've had the diesel pump reconditioned. It cost quite a bit of money. Uh, it's a 1.2 kilopascal high pressure pump, I believe. And after that, it still does that. When they run diagnostics, um, the diagnostics don't show that anything has failed. So it, <laughs> it is extremely frustrating and, and discouraging. I don't know if Nico has any um, info on that kind of failure. Uh, Nicole? Just a quick question. Does it cut out while you're driving or it's just when you switch off, it wouldn't start again? Uh, in the beginning, before I had the pump fixed, it would, yes, it would, it would cut out. And if I started, then it would cut out again. But after the pump has been fixed, um, it only refuses to start now and then. It's not a regular thing and it doesn't cut out when I'm driving at the moment. Okay, so 300,000 is quite a bit of mileage on an engine in general, but there shouldn't be any reason why engine can't last past 300,000 if you've been well cared for and serviced. But for a diesel engine to run, obviously you need your diesel, you need your injectors to spray the correct pattern, correct pressures, correct timing, and you need the correct compression ratio. So with an engine at high mileage like that, it'd be interesting to do a compression test on the engine just to make sure that the compression of each cylinder is what it should be. Obviously, with time, if there's wear on the cylinder rings and so on, the compression will, will drop over time. And maybe it's at a point where the compression is not what it should be, and maybe that, that, that can be why it's uh, hard to start and maybe sometimes cut out. The fact that it's better after the, the diesel pump has been reconditioned tells me something to do with the with the fuel pressure as well in the injector. So that's something that needs to be needs to be checked. The injectors can foul over time, which means that the, the holes becomes, it, it, the holes in the injectors are so, so small, you can't actually see it with a naked eye. So when they start to foul up, uh, the holes become smaller and smaller and it's more and more difficult. So one thing I would also recommend is the, for the injectors to be cleaned or to actually check it out of this some of these um, injector places that will do what they call a flow test. They take the injectors out and they do a test on the injectors to see if they flow the correct amount of, of diesel with times as a test that they do. That's to determine 
are those holes all open or are they some of them blocked? So if the holes injector are blocked, you won't get enough fuel into the cylinders. It's sort of a starvation problem. And then it also will, will cut out. So it almost sounds to me that that might also be a problem in the sense that the injector is, after the pump is now supplying sufficient pressure, but maybe those injectors are fouled up and the diesel is not getting into the cylinder. So that's, that's some of the ideas that I've got. Uh, that might be investigated, and 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 it's weird that there's nothing coming up on the on the diagnostics. Uh, it is a 2008. I know later model years would be able to tell you if there's a problem with the injectors in the sense that it can actually calculate the accelerations of the crank after each injector event to show you, okay, now injector three is not doing what it's supposed to do. But yeah, I will do in compression check just to get that out of the way, then do an injector flow test to make sure the injectors are fine, and that might come up with a solution for you. All right, thank you for that, Hans and Bryanson. I hope you've been assisted. Anton in Rustenburg, go ahead. Hi, yeah, I just wanted to ask Nicola Suzuki switched the previous model with the ubiquitous 1200 uh, petrol motor. I just want to know the different ways that fuel consumption is and displayed. It seems to me that I'm not sure that this is actually based on some kind of mass flow uh, sense. It seems to be that it compares a whole lot of readings to a predetermined algorithm and that the speed, uh, the, the actual fuel consumption is not always 100% accurate. It seems to be based on a whole lot of algorithms and readouts and it compares it to an algorithm and puts the speed out. Uh, I'm not speed, the actual fuel consumption out. I want to know what, uh, what different systems are used for instantaneous fuel consumption. So regarding fuel consumption on a vehicle, for the engine to run a modern engine these days, the engine control unit is controlling the fuel to the engine through the injectors very precisely. So the engine control unit is exactly aware of how fuel is going in. So there's no reason for the manufacturer to display something that's not accurate, but I know what they do. Sometimes that signal is filtered. Uh, just to give you a stable sort of reading. So the average uh-huh. reading is obviously a better one than an instantaneous one. Um, when it okay. comes to the range of the vehicle, that's quite interesting because it, it calculates uh-huh. your average fuel consumption over the last bit of driving that you did. Now, that depends on how it's calibrated by the engineer. So if you, it, it might look at the last five kilometers, it might look at 10 or 15, it, it's the predetermined algorithm and determine what was your average fuel consumption over the last distance you've driven. And then it adjusts your range that you see, uh, the, the range to empty according to your driving style over the last couple of, of kilometers or so. That's why you see if you start to drive aggressively, the, the estimated range will actually drop quite considerably. And then if suddenly if you drive, start to drive uh, fuel, uh, fuel efficient, you'll see that range increase. So that's, that's an algorithm that's, that's used and calibrated by the engineers, and it all determines what, uh, what vehicle you're driving and so on, how, how uh, swiftly that will, that will change. But the actual fuel consumption, fuel consumption readout, there's no reason why it can't be 100% accurate. I think some of the factors do put a, a filter on there just to sort of not make it jump around a, a lot. But yeah, in most cases, I found that the, the, especially the average fuel consumption uh, measurement and that's displayed on the instrument cluster is quite accurate. All right, thank you for that, Anton. Uh, we go to Savelo. Savelo, go ahead. Hi, Nicole and um, My 2007 Pajero 3.8 is using a lot of oil between services, um, sometimes over five liters between services, and it's not smoking, there's no visible leaks. What could be the cause? 
Is that the petrol model, the, the V6? It's the V6, yes. Yes, yes. So oil consumption, uh, is it, if it's a high mileage vehicle, uh, what you need to look at is obviously your your piston rings. Um, that will be the first first place where it will, will leak past. Um, and then your valve stem seals. Uh, you can actually also pass through the valve stem seals and then into the, the combustion chamber. It's interesting that you see that, uh, you say that you're not seeing any smoke um, because you would, it, at, uh, you would probably see it when it's a cold start or when you accelerate hard. Um, you might see a little blue tint in the, in the exhaust gas. That's a telltale that it's burning oil. If it's not burning oil, the oil must be going somewhere else. So then it can either be a leak, uh, but then you see it on the garage floor or wherever you park, um, or some of the oil can actually go into the cooling system if it's a head gasket that's out going uh, its way. But then you would also see it in the coolant, and some of the coolant will also get to the oil, get that milky substance. So I, I don't think it's that. I think if it's a high-mileage vehicle, do a compression check uh, and a leak-down check to make sure that the cylinder rings are still fine. And then, uh, as I say, the, the other one is the valve stem seals. Sometimes you can get away with just changing the valve stem seals. If the oil is, is uh, going into the combustion chamber at a slow rate, then you won't see a massive blue, blue to a tint of smoke behind you. It's more a gradual thing. Five liters between all changes, you probably do oil change every 10,000 case. That is a bit, is a bit high, so I will definitely have a look at that. And thank you so much, uh, Nicole Lowe, and thank you so much, Sabela, for that question. That is Nicole Lowe, technical specialist on the car feature.